and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Thank you. I always love at conferences, like when they're passing the mic off to somebody and it's that really awkward, like just like really intense hug and stuff. I love it. Hey, um, thank you guys. I got some people from my last church uh, here just randomly showing up on the night that I'm preaching. Come on now. Hey, love you guys. Being part of a super important time in me and Tiffany's life and really dear friends. They in the trenches with us. Amen. Hey, I want to do something a little different tonight. Um, This is probably not going to be like any sermon you've ever heard. Um, It's going to be a lot of some teaching of the about the Bible and maybe a lot of teaching you've never heard as well, but that's okay, right? Amen. You can take a little teaching. It's good. It, one of the things we've been realizing about our church um, and the church in general is just something called the fivefold ministry. And Paul or Paul says that the Lord has given the fivefold until the fullness of the unity of Christ is enveloped in the church. Amen. Do we have the fullness of the unity yet? No. So we need apostles preachers, teachers, uh, evangelists, and I'm missing one, prophets. I think I got them all. Yeah. We need all those. And one of the things we realized in our church that we were just kind of, we needed to see a little bit more of us teaching. That's why we're doing teaching nights. That's why we're doing fully given school of ministry. And even just tonight, I just felt the burden of the Lord to kind of open the scriptures up and explain some things. Sometimes, um, we, I, I love being in like big services where it's like raw and just like you're rolling on the floor with the Lord and you're getting encounters and those are awesome. But I feel like a lot of times we need some teaching as like the scaffolding to hold that thing up. Because when there is no biblical, like just opening the Bible and like, what does it tell me? Those experiences can cause us to kind of be swayed by the wind because the Lord did not want you to live on experience alone, but he wanted you to live anchored to his word that he's given you. Amen. Okay. So I want to do some teaching. We've been talking about promises in the covenants of God. And there's a thing that the Lord has been, um, that I've been studying for quite a while. And I felt it was appropriate to kind of talk about tonight. And if you haven't listened to this morning's message, when I was sharing about, um, the, the mosaic covenant, I would encourage you, you know, sometime this week, go back in Facebook, listen to it. Cause I'm going to kind of tonight explain Expand on a certain part of what I talked about this morning. We're going to go deep dive into something I kind of glazed over, but I think it's really important and it shows us some really integral parts of the narrative of scripture. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's just pray real quick. I don't ever do this, but I just feel like we should. Jesus, I just pray, Lord, you would be here right now. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Allow me to have the words that you would get, they were to give me, Lord. And uh, anything that's not of you, Father, either don't let me say it or let it fall on deaf ears. Amen. All right. <laughs> uh, praise God, because sometimes the flesh is willing. All right. So um, <laughs> one thing I want to establish before we even start tonight um, is, number one, we have to look at the Bible. So this thing right here that we call the Word of God. And I do, man, I do like the, the six. It's, it's more cash. More laid back. It's not so much pressure. This thing right here was not written to you and me. Does that make sense? It wasn't like written directly to you. The Lord has given it to us, but 
the, for the people who it was written to, they did not look, act, or talk like you and me. Does that make sense? Amen? It was written thousands of years ago to a people across the world who did not dress with pants. Okay? They all had robes. Anybody been in a Jesus play? Um, it's drafty. Uh, <laughs> casual. We, so what, so it was not written to you and me. It was written to a people who look completely different than us. And so when we approach the scriptures, we need to approach it from their perspective, right? If I approach the scriptures from an American in the 21st century, I'm not going to understand some things. I'm not going to, and, and we're going to talk about, you ever read the Bible? And you come across something weird. Anybody? Let me see. Raise your hand. Let me see. You raise your Bible. Raise your hand. You come across something weird. And what, what's the easiest thing to do? We're just going to skim past that thing right there. Let's just keep it moving. And we're going to open up some weird passages tonight. Because um, if it's weird, it's important. If it's weird, it's important. There's nothing in the Bible that's just like, that's just strange. It's not really. Everything is important. Okay, and so we can look at something like Solomon's concubines and all this sort of stuff and how or Abraham's wives or all these people have different wives. And we can look at it and say, I guess we should have that. But you have to look at it from the viewpoint of of the person who's reading it in that day. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Amen. So we need to look at the Bible from an ancient person's viewpoint. All right. We're talking about covenants and promises. Amen. Um, why? Why are we talking? What's the important thing about covenants? We talked about it this morning. Is God wants a human family on earth. He wants earth and heaven married in this synergistic thing, relationship, where he can walk on the planet with a embodied, I mean, she's, we have bodies, people, as well as angelic disembodied people like the angels and, and, and cherubim, whatever. He wants those things married. Okay, how do we know this? Eden and then the, and the new earth. So you have Eden in the beginning of the book where God's perfect plan is Eden, a place where he can walk and talk with Adam. And you have the new Jerusalem at the very end of the book where God reestablishes his will. So what, what does this tell us? This is what he wants all along. Okay, and so he wants a human family in addition to his spiritual family. He wants a blended family and he will get what he wants. And so he has obviously um, we don't have that now. And we're going to talk about that in a, minute, a moment. Why don't we have that family? There's a series of things that have happened in the storyline that we need to cover. But that's what he wants. Amen. All right, here we go. It's okay. This is not going to be a shout me down message. You, some of you may even take notes, which is totally cool. It might be a good idea. Um, all right. So why don't we have that family now? If you were to ask a person in this room, why doesn't it look like Eden on this earth right now? I bet 95% of you would say, well, Genesis three, the fall, Adam and Eve eat the apple, pomegranate, whatever, you know, starburst. And so they, they eat that. And then you know, it just all the curse and everything goes to crap. You know, it's just, it's done. If you were to ask a person 3000 years ago, 2000 years ago, why is the earth the way it is? Why aren't we walking with God in Eden? They would say, well, that's a big part of it. 
Genesis 3, the fall. But there's actually two other really important events that we need to cover that, that, that play into what's happening here. And tonight, I want to just let's just sit back and, and listen as I open the scriptures, because I feel like this is going to, at least it did for me, it's going to fill out your biblical worldview a little bit. It's going to kind of fill in some missing puzzle pieces that were all, always just hazy and fuzzy. Okay, so why is the world the way it is? Well, certainly we have Adam and Eve in the, in the garden. Okay, they mess up. They rebel against God. And we also have the first instance of a spiritual creative being, being Lucifer rebelling against God. Okay, and then that causes sin to enter into the world. Now man is cursed. The earth is cursed. And the, the serpent gets demoted to having no legs. Amen. <laughs> was a funny part. <laughs> tough crowd, tough crowd. Okay. Um, and this is really important. Okay. This is, this is the first time this happens. However, this is not the only time this happens. Okay. Now, next we fast forward several years and we have Genesis six. And if you're, you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open to that. We're going to read some Bible tonight. Amen. There's nothing wrong with that. Open up your Bible to Genesis six. We're going to start in one through eight, Genesis one through eight. I told you we're going to go right into the deep end tonight. Okay. Many of you have probably read this passage and you have no idea what this means. We're going to dive in tonight. Now it came to pass when the men began to multiply, just the people of earth on the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. We're in Genesis six, verse two. Now, um, saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh. Yet his day shall be 120 years. Verse four, there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore them children to them, those were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man of whom I'm created from the face of the earth, both both man, beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Wow, that's a lot there, okay? So if you've read this passage, you're probably asking yourself, what is happening, okay? There's a lot there. Um, you have the men of God, the, the race of, of humankind is expanding across the earth. And then what it says is the sons of God, these, in, in the Hebrew, this would be the word Elohim. Okay, maybe you've heard the word Elohim mean God. It can mean Yahweh God, but Elohim is really just a word that means disembodied spirit. It just means a angelic type being, okay? It can be anything. It can be God, but it's like just the, the English word God. It could mean big G or little g. Everybody tracking with me? Okay, so it says these Elohim or these sons of God came down to the earth and then had babies with the daughters of men. Okay. And these were, some of you probably know the Nephilim, these giant 
races, okay? And this is the second incident that an ancient person would tell you the reason why the earth is the way it is. Is we have the fall from Genesis 3, and now we have this moment where there is unclean mixture between races, okay? There is unclean mixture between the sons of God and the daughters of men. And this causes a, 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 a uncleanness to be swept throughout the land. If you were to also ask a person, and there's other places in the Bible, we just don't have time to get to it tonight, but this is not the only thing that's happening here. In this, in this season of time, um, the ancient Israelites believed that these sons of God came down because they were uh, fallen beings. They were not, they're not the good guys. They came down and they were actually able to teach men how to greatly sin, to, to, to deep to destroy themselves. They taught them about drugs and they taught them about murder and all this other sort of stuff. They, they introduced more sin and the knowledge of sin into the world. Okay. And we see this in the writings of Paul later on. Um, but anyway, so in Genesis six, there's this fall that happens, this rebellion from the sons of God coming into the daughters of men. And it creates this crazy race. And what does God do? He says, I ain't having this mess. I'm going to send a flood and it's going to wipe all this stuff out. Okay. And so we have Noah. I know this is a lot, guys. I'm sorry. This is different, but I really felt like I wanted to share it because we're going to get to some good stuff at the end where it actually tracks to where we are today. But I felt like it was a really good to give you a kind of a worldview of what's happening. So God says, I'm going to wipe the earth clean with a flood. He finds his man, Noah. Why does he find a man? Because God, through all the craziness that's happening, is still intent on having an earthly family. He is still intent on having a people who host him well, who, who invite him in, who are, who are given fully unto him. That's still what he wants. He does not want just to completely erase it and start over. He wants to find, so he will always find his man. This is a common theme. We're going to see it later on with Abraham. He will find someone. The Bible says God searches the whole earth looking who is serving him righteously. God is going to find his man. So he finds Noah, builds a big behind boat, puts a bunch of animals in it. And then we know the rest of the story. All these people are, are killed by the flood, okay? And you would think, okay, they're going to get it. This is the third try, okay? They're going to get it this time. They don't, okay? Um, so let's go to now Genesis 11. The flood comes. It goes. God tells Noah. He gives him another Adamic uh, commission, which is like the commission he gave Adam. It says, be fruitful and multiply. He's trying to start with something whole, something pure, Noah and his family. And he's sending them out saying, change the earth. That's what we talked about this morning. God's plan was to make the entire earth like Eden. He wanted to, to expand. He, he told Adam to, to work the ground, to expand. This is what he tells the nation of Israel later on. We talked about this morning to to um, be a blessing to all nations, okay? This is what he wants. So he tells Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Um, Noah does. And then we get to Genesis 11, okay? Let's flip over there to Genesis 11. Okay, the Tower of Babel. This is another one that's just a weird story. But it's really important. Remember, if it's weird, it's important. There's nothing in this right here that is just fodder. 
There's nothing in this book that doesn't mean anything, that doesn't have context, that doesn't play into the bigger narrative of scripture, of redemption. This is all really important. It helps to have eyes to see what's really going on. So now the Tower of Babel. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the whole face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of man had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have one language. And this is what they begin to, and, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the earth and they ceased to build him a city. Therefore, the name called that is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. The Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Okay, so we have this commission. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Go, uh, uh, conform the earth to look like Eden. And what do the people do? We're going to build a tower instead. We're going we're gonna to just stay here. We're all going to talk to each other, and we're going to build a tower. Um, the, the, with the most common theme or sorry, theory amongst theologians that this tower was called a ziggurat. And a ziggurat was something used in ancient Babylon, and it was erected, and it was meant to draw the gods to the tower so that people then could trap them and talk to them and barter with them or whatever. It was meant to control the gods. Well, if you know Yahweh, that ain't going to fly. And so he's like, no, nah, we ain't doing this. I'm literally going to scatter you across the earth. And this is the third time the people of God, the people who he's created, have rebelled against him. And so the Lord now looks down at his people and says, okay, this isn't working. We need to try something different. And so what we see now, if we can flip over to Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. Let's go to Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. We're going to see what God does. This is talking about after Babel. He says, when the most high divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Um, in other translations, it says he separated under the sons of God. Okay, that'd be the better translation. What happens here, and this is something that we don't really hear a lot about in, in, in church, but uh, what's crazy is when I was studying this, the vast majority of Old Testament theologians and definitely Israelites, people who are, um, sorry, J Jewish people, they all hold to this view. This is the, this is the common uh, view for what's happening in this scripture and what happens after Babel. God takes his heavenly host and he says, okay, my people clearly don't want to follow me. I'm going to make a way 
but I'm going to have you as placeholders. And so he takes these heavenly hosts, these Elohim, these angels, and he says, okay, I'm going to disperse you amongst the people here. And you are going to be a placeholder for me. They don't need to worship you, but you are going to protect them. You're going to teach them. And you're going to be a placeholder because one day there will be one son of God who will come, who will reign over all. But you are going to protect them from now on because they don't want me. So I'll give them you for right now. This is what it's saying. This is what Deuteronomy is saying, that the sons of God were given but what does it say? But it says Jacob was the Lord's inheritance. So what he did, he gave to the nations these different placeholders, but he kept one for himself, and that is Israel. Okay? He kept Jacob and his inheritance for himself. Okay, this is getting to where it's going to get important. This Deuteronomy 32 worldview is really important for the rest of scripture because it causes a lot of things that are just fuzzy and hairy and that don't really make sense. And even in the new Testament, it causes things to really make sense. Even on Wednesday nights, who, who's been here on a Wednesday night when we're in prayer and intercession and we're praying and we're interceding over spirits of Tampa, over the spirit of the nation or whatever, you know, these, these demonic strongholds we're calling and tearing down. This is where that worldview comes from. Because long story short, these people that the Lord put over the different nations, these are these, um, these sons of God, they, they rebel against him. This is the third and final great rebellion against the Lord. They rebel against him. And so the Lord now is at war. He has his, in his inheritance, Israel and all the other nations. And now he is at war with the other nations. Okay. Everybody tracking with me? This is weird, I know, but it's important because it, it, it's going to land here in a second. So let's look at some places we can see this in the Bible. We have um, Deuteronomy 32, which we just read. Um, Deuteronomy 4, 19 and 20. That's another one. Um, I think this is another really good one here. Let's go to Psalm 82. Psalm 82. This is one that... Um, I was flipping through Proverbs, thought it was Psalms. Like, where's it at? There's no 82. Here we go. Psalm 82. I'm going to read the whole thing. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges amongst, among the gods. Okay, here's the thing. This is me and Covington were talking about this. Either the Bible is true or it's not. So we can read something like that and be like, gods, I thought there was only one God, you know, or when the Bible says he's the God of gods or we either have to take this at its word or, or we have to chalk it up to metaphor. I'm going to choose to take it at its word. Amen. And so when it says he stands among gods in my Bible, that's a small G. So that means a spiritual principality over a region, but it's not Yahweh. You tracking with me? It's not him. This is a power over a region, but it is not Yahweh. He says, all right, let's read. I want to read this whole Psalm because it's important. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And this is what he says. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? What is he talking about here? This is the Lord standing in the congregation of those Elohim that he put over the nations. And he's saying to them, how long will you judge unjustly? I put you there for, to, to hold my people, but you have dealt treacherously. You've rebelled against me. How long are you going to do this? Okay. 
And so um, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. And then this is David saying, arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall what? Inherit the nations. This plays into what it says, Jesus, the nations are the Lord's inheritance. Okay? He has kept Jacob and the nation of Israel, but the nations are in his inheritance. In that original, when he has sent out those Elohim, he says, I want those things. I want the nations back. I'm sending you out to be a placeholder. They are my inheritance. And they have dealt treacherously and they have judged wickedly, but the nations are the Lord's inheritance. And we're going to see this in a second, how it plays in. But let's just look at this. It says, I said, you are gods and you are children of the most high, but you shall die like what? Men. What is he talking about? How can you, if you're a man, if this has to do with people, how can you die like you are a man? <laughs> right? It's really simple. Okay. And I know like, when I first heard this, this was like a little weird, a little strange, but it really makes sense when it has to do with tearing down of strongholds, when it has to do with principalities and the rulers of nations. Okay. So let's go now. That's Psalm 82. We see also, if you've been on a Wednesday night, this is one of my favorite verses. In Daniel 9, we have this encounter where an angel is coming down to give Daniel a message. And what happens? He says, the angel says, Daniel, I was caught up in the heavens by the prince of Persia. And he resisted me there. And I fought with him. And then he sends another angel to come and to break through. And we see in the scripture that there's a prince of Persia, a prince of Greece, and they are withholding. I think it's, I think it's Gabriel. They're withholding Gabriel. This is what the Lord is talking. This is what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about Elohim over nations. There are literal print, there are principalities right now over this country. Can anybody tell that the country is not running according to what the Lord, even though the, we came, you know, when the country was established with good intentions, there is an evil principality ruling over this nation. Amen. And there's principalities ruling over right now in the, in the East, in the, in Europe and all over because they have been, that's what happened thousands of years ago, but the Lord will have his way. Okay. Come on. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of cool stories. Um, I'm just going to go through some stories where this kind of gives you um, some context. And like I said, this sounds, may sound strange for us, but this would be very common for a, a Israelite back in the day of David. David's writing this. Back in the day of David, they would have understood this worldview. And this would have been integral to the plan of God shifting the nations. Of They understood that they were at war not with the Philistines, but Baal. They were at war with a spiritual entity over a people. Amen. We have the story of Naaman. Naaman gets healed by, of leprosy. And what happens? He says, so there's a whole crazy story. But at the end of the story, he says, let me take some of the sand from Israel. Let me put it in a jar. Let me take it back to my own country. Why? Naaman and the Israelites understood that his country was under dominion of a false god. 
And he wanted to take the land, the dirt that was under dominion of the Elohim, of, of Yahweh, back to his land. Some of this stuff just starts to click when you're hearing about Egypt, when God delivers his people out of Egypt. And now all the nations recognize there is one true God. There's one God above all gods. It, it, they'll even say it. King Nebuchadnezzar will say it. He doesn't deny the existence of other gods. He just calls him the what? The most high. Exalted above other gods, right? <sighs> Come on. Uh, the story of Dagon is an awesome one too. So you have um, the, this, this enemy nation. They capture the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in their temple. Oh, this is a good story. They put it in their temple. And uh, so the Ark of the Covenant is in this temple of a God called Dagon. And the Ark's in there and it's chilling and they go to sleep. They come back in the next day and Dagon is knocked over. <laughs> What's happening here? The Lord is showing there's one God. I rule over all the other gods. I will not bow or be on evil playing, equal playing fields to anybody else. So they resurrect Dagon, like, come on, buddy, get your hat together. And they come in the next day, his hands and his head are broken off. This is showing, this is the, this is the Deuteronomy 32 worldview of him allotting the nations to other gods as placeholders and them rebelling. And then the Lord will eventually have his way. Come on. So <laughs> that's a lot, but that's important. Now we got the, we're going to get into some good stuff now. So what happens from here? God, so we have the nations are given to these other gods. They rebel. God's going to find his man. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to start a new nation. Because he said he, kept, he keeps Jacob for his inheritance. He says, I'm going to find my own nation. So he goes to the land of Ur. And in Ur, he finds a man named Abram. And he says, Abram is righteous. Because here's the thing. How do you go from Noah to, to Abram? which is not that many, not that many um, generations. And it says when he found Abram, he was the only one righteous amongst a world of wickedness. How, does, how quick does it fall? It's because those people created and caused them to sin um, even greater. So he goes to Ur, he finds Abram, and he says, I'm going to create a new nation with my man Abram because I will have my will, I will have my way, I will have my people who will host me. I will have it on, on, on heaven, on earth. And so he finds Abram. And what's interesting, he finds Abram who has a wife named Sarah. What's interesting about Sarah? She can't have children. And so God said, this is perfect. So the nations will know that this lineage, this new nation is supernatural. And it's birthed from Yahweh. This has his marker of creativity on it. Any other God, any other angel can't create. The only person who can create is Yahweh. So he takes Abram. He says, Abram, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to bless the nations through you. Again, bringing them back. They're in his inheritance. And I'm going to create through you a holy people. We read about it this morning. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And Isaac has the fingerprint of God on him because he's a supernatural boy. And it even harkens and prophesies towards uh, one who be born of a virgin. Amen. All right. So Abraham, God chooses Abraham and he starts the family line. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, 400 years. Now we're in 400 years in Egypt. Now we're to Moses. Moses leads the people out. 
God says, I need to show myself. I've been showing myself to one man and his family. Now I need to show myself to an entire nation. I've had Abraham who served me, Noah who served me, Isaac, you know, all these people. Now I need an entire nation who says, you are Yahweh. You are the most high. This is important language. Okay, the Bible, when it says the most high, it says it for a reason. Because he's, he's over other things. And so he, now he shows himself to a nation, the nation of Israel. And what were we talking about this morning? What was the purpose of the nation of Israel? The nation of Israel was to be a blessing unto the nations. He says, I will make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Well, as we understand from the, the Levitical priesthood, they were to go on they were go to go to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel, right? Well, if you have an entire kingdom of priests, who are they going on to the Lord on behalf of? The other nations. Israel, if they would have ascended the hill of the Lord and draw close to the smoke, we know they, they held back. If they would have done that, they would have become a nation of priests. They would not have had Moses or Aaron or the priesthood to go into the tabernacle. They, this is an interesting, interesting story I mentioned this morning. Moses is at the tabernacle of meeting, which was this tent outside the camp, and he would go in. What did it say every time he went in? What did the people of Israel do? They would stand outside their tents and watch him. I have to think at some level they were thinking that could have been me. That could, he has access that now I, I literally cannot go into, I can't go into that tent or I will die. But I had an opportunity to have access to the most high like that. So he's creating, he, what he wanted was a kingdom of priests. Does this sound familiar to you? We talked about it in Peter in Revelation that he has made us a kingdom of priests. What was Israel supposed to do? They were supposed to go and essentially make disciples of nations. They were supposed to transform the world and bring them under the rule and reign of the Most High. There's so many prophetic words in the Old Testament about Gentiles coming in, being grafted and laying their sacrifices on the altar. What is it hearkening to? It's hearkening to the nations being his inheritance. Them turning away from, from, from God's and coming back to the Most High. This is the, the, the great commission of Israel and it's still the great commission today. I told you to get a little good. All right, so see, it, everything starts to click. All right, so we have the same mandate today. Matthew 28, the great commission. There's a key in that verse though. He says, all authority on heaven and in earth has been given to me. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means this. He says, all those nations that were being ruled by other principalities, I now have legal right to take their people from them. I have defeated death, hell, and the grave. I can now pass over these regional barriers. I can, we can now take people from other nations. It's why, why does he say every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every knee, every tongue shall bow? Because now the, when Jesus descended and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and rose again, he literally null and voided all those kingdom and reigns. Now he has complete authority to, to bankrupt hell and to further the kingdom of God. Amen? Does this make sense? Okay. <laughs> All right. We have legal access. So if he has legal access, we do too. Be it, make disciples of nations. The nations are Jesus' inheritance. I want to read you some scriptures. 
Psalms 2, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. That's about the Messiah. Psalm 11, he has declared to his people the power of works and in the giving them the heritage of the nations. I, we see this a lot in Isaiah. Isaiah 2, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, come on, the mountain of his house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills in all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his path. Isaiah 11, in that day, there should be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him, seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Jesus, his inheritance is the nation's. It hasn't changed since Deuteronomy 32. He still wants what he wants and he will get what he wants. Whether the, whether the people of earth or his heavenly host will, 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 will uh, cooperate or not, the Lord will have his way on the earth. Okay, come on. All right. Um, this is what he wants, the whole earth being brought to him. Everyone to worship with him, every knee, every tongue. You're like, this is crazy, but what now? What do we do? What's the point of all this? The point when you, sorry, something in my tongue. When you were saved and you were brought in his family, you were given a job. And Jesus gave the 12 disciples a job when in the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Preaching the gospel. What do we do with this information? It helps us to understand that now we are in a battle against principalities who have no legal right over the people they are tormenting. There are principalities in Tampa. There's demonic forces. And I don't really go into demon stuff, but this is important. There are things, there are spiritual things that are hovering over regions that have no legal right to be there. And the Lord has given, taken death, hell, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he's given authority to men who call him Yahweh. He's given them authority to tear down those things, to tear down strongholds. What does Paul say? He says, for our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are profitable for the tearing down of strongholds. The Bible means things when it says it. <laughs> when Paul says later in Ephesians 6, let's just read it. Ephesians 6, 12. Let's read from 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. <laughs> the Bible means what it says. Okay, that, those aren't just words to all mean demons who get in people's bodies. Okay, that's actually the, the lowest form of an evil spirit. Easiest to cast out. Can I also just give you some piece of practical advice when it comes to casting out demons? They don't respond to shouting. Demons don't care how loud you can make the decibels come out of your voice. They care about the authority that you walk in. Jesus didn't say some of these come out by shouting. 
Some of these come out by stomping. Some of these come out by asking the demon where he came from and what his mother-in-law's name is. Demons come out by prayer and fasting, which, which means authority that you walk in. Submission to the Most High. So when you walk into a circumstance, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to go to battle with a demon. You just say, hey, get out. It's time to go. We had, um, th- there's, th- you just, okay, let me, let me tell a quick story about Mexico. I didn't even know you guys were going to be here. Amazing. We went to Mexico a couple years ago. And, um, and I just want to give you a practical example of what this stuff has to do with your life and how it can play out. We walk into, we're, we're evangelizing in the streets and um, we, we're, you know, asking people to get prayer and pray for healing. We go in this person's house, which you're not really supposed to do, but the translator said it was a good idea. So I'm like, oh, I'm down for anything. I got in trouble later when Tiffany found out. Um, so we go in the house and the, there's a little boy. He's really disformed. He has a lot of problems. And as soon as we walk in the house, and I hadn't felt this at all. I've been in probably like 15 other houses on that trip or something. You just felt oppression. I felt weightiness. I felt darkness. I felt just yuck, like gross. And, and, we're, and nothing is on the walls. There's no like goat head sitting there to make it obvious. It was just a normal house. There's like Twinkies on the counter. And so I'm walking in there and it's just like gross in there. And the translators talking to them, sharing about the gospel. And I had this youth girl next to me, this youth girl. And she's, and she's standing next to me. And, and I'm like, I wonder what she's feeling. And so I just start, while the translator's talking, I just start walking around just praying to the Lord, say, Lord, empty this house completely, just, and it smelled really musty as well. If you've been around, like, that sort of stuff, you know what that smell is like. It just, and so I started to pray a really simple prayer under my breath, even like, Lord, just empty this house. Like, this is your place, Father, Holy Spirit, come. And all of a sudden, things just started to feel more light. They started to feel airier, and and in the smell, like, the door was shut, but I could feel breeze coming in. I could feel fresh wind. I could feel like the air coming in and it just started to smell better. He prays for him. Some of them get saved. Um, and then we walk out. And so I'm like, this is what I'm a youth pastor. So I asked one of the students there, I said, Hey, you know, what did you feel when you walked in the room? She's like, Oh, it was gross. It just felt heavy. And she wasn't, didn't really know the lingo. So she did the best she could, but she felt it. And then she says, yeah, but then you started to walk around and I didn't really know what you were doing because I couldn't really hear you. But all of a sudden, just it started to feel a lot better. And then I even felt the wind come in, but the door was shut. And so even a person who does not understand the context could feel the shift when demons have to get out because I serve the most high and he outranks everybody else. Amen. You have authority to trample over scorpions and serpents. Those are images of demonic beings that, that, the, that the Bible gives us. You have authority. Authority has been given unto you. Amen. All right. Oh, so good. Am I doing good, Cove? <laughs> All right. We, um, let's, let's stand. Let's stand. Like I said, this is more of a teaching than anything. Um, we, I want to do some prayer just tonight for, for healing and stuff. Um, Cove, if you want to come play, you can, or, or we can just, we don't have to have music. It's up to you. Um, but this is the greatest part of this, this story. We get invited into God's story. And the Bible says he made, he made man a little lower than the angels. And so for people who have spirits, we are the lowest of his creation. And yet we get to be a part to completely transform this whole thing.
He has taken the lowest and the weakest and are going to cause them to, to conquer and to trample over principalities because his spirit lives within us. I want to give you boldness tonight. Boldness to when you encounter things, whether it's sickness, whether it's depression, whether it's a demonic spirit, whatever it is, to know that you have authority, get you have a badge that says Yahweh on your chest. And that you are a messenger, you are a a a an apostle, a sent one, someone who is called to terraform, to transform the nations. Amen. So I want to pray for anybody who's sick tonight. And I just want to pray a prayer of boldness over you. One of the things that some of us in the leadership have been feeling recently is this call for the Great Commission. I just really feel there are lost people who are being tormented, whether they have a demon or not. They are being tormented by spirits, and those spirits have to go. They no longer have legal right over people anymore. Amen? Jesus, I just pray a prayer of boldness over your people right now, Father. I pray a prayer that, Lord, they would have courage, Father, to take your word into the highways and byways, Father, to trample over scorpions and serpents, Lord, to do your work to disciple nations, to heal, Father, to, to give hope for the oppressed in the name of Jesus. In all timidity, God, all, all fear would bow its, bow its knee to the name of Jesus right now. Father, come. I pray, Lord, you would give us a revelation, Lord, that you are the Most High, seated above everything. There is no name above your name, Jesus. You have conquered death, hell, and the grave, and you are seated above the earth in the heavens, Father. We submit to your leadership in Jesus' name. Um, I want to call, if you, are, if you are sick at all, or you have some, you have some need tonight, I want to invite you forward because I just feel like there's a grace tonight specifically for healing. That the Lord would show himself mighty. Paul says, I didn't come to you with eloquent words, but I came to you in power. He's talking to people who served other gods. And he came in power to show them that there is only one true God who sits above all else. And so I just feel like there's a grace tonight for healing. So if you need healing, I want you to come forward and we want to pray with you. Amen.